0: hello everybody and welcome to dine with the divine i'm your host ashley and together we'll be exploring the magical the mystical and everything in between so on today's episode we're going to talk about wicca and the queen of the night So I hope everybody's having a great week, and if not, I hope it gets better soon. So today we have an absolutely fabulous guest. I'm so excited as usual. We have Courtney. So Courtney Weber is a witch, author, tarot advisor, and activist. She's the author of Bridget, History, Mystery, and Magic of the Celtic Goddess, Tarot for One, The Art of Reading for Yourself, the Morgan, Celtic goddess of magic and might, and Hecate, or Hecate, whichever one you like, goddess of the witches. She also is the co host of that witch life podcast. Courtney has been featured in Maxim, Huffington Post, Vice, and the Tom Hartman show. Hey, Courtney. How are you?
1: Oh, I'm good, Ashley. I was so excited to see your name in my inbox. It's been <laughs> far too long. I know. I met you at Reader Studio a long time ago. Yes. Yes.
0: Yeah. And yeah. Or yeah.
1: was Northwest... I-, I also remember you at Northwest Terrace. No. Yes. You were both. Okay. I couldn't remember which one I actually met you at, but... Yeah. I know. We sucked you into the Bad Girls Club immediately. <laughs> And I realized that, that was one of those. I said, Why is it whenever I go to a conference, no matter what table I'm at, it's always the bad girls' table, always the troublemakers? And then I was like, I guess there's one common denominator. <laughs> and we absorbed Ashley immediately. It's like, one of us,
0: a naughty girl, join us and get in trouble. That's pretty (laughs) cool. I know, no, but you, you also you just know all the the cool people. Well, first of all, everybody who goes to Northwest, all of at least they're the two I've been to, and everybody's cool there. Everybody is super awesome. But I just feel like you gravitate towards the real coolest people. There's no hierarchy, but we love everybody. But you just always know really cool people, (laughs) and you're like one of those people who knows everybody. You're like the mayor of Tower Town. I feel like you know
1: (laughs) I I might be a deposed mayor. It's been been a few years since I've been to any of these conferences. I hope I still know people. They haven't forgotten about me. I'm like some antiquated relic that they have to call out of a Ouija board and who doesn't speak the language and is like got all these weird
0: customs. Oh my god, I love it. So (laughs) I usually always ask everybody, so I'll ask you so people in case they don't know. How did your journey with all of your writing and your witchcraft and all that stuff, how did it start? Oh gosh, it's so
1: funny because I asked that almost the exact same question on my podcast and then when it's posed to me, I'm like, oh my God, what a huge question to start. <laughs> how mean of me to ask that of people every week and here I am being forced to do it. Uh, when I was a kid, I was always super interested in religion, but not like what I think now, what I would call is for the mystic- the mysticism of it. Mm-hmm. I, I was raised functionally Catholic, but you know, my mom's family is Southern Baptist, and so we had we were influenced a lot from them. And then I was raised in very secular Oregon, so just had a real, a lot of different threads that were feeding me, and so I just was. I was really interested in prayer and the rosary, but a lot of it was not not because I was trying so hard to be a good child of God. There was Mm -hmm. certainly there was part of that. But also I was really interested in what the power of spirit. It's very interesting because I found my old Bible that Mm. I used to try to read every night at bedtime. And I would highlight passages, which is what I thought you were supposed to do, that were meaningful. All my passages were about casting out spirits and God <laughs> and anything that had to do with death and destruction. I and mean, I was really into the dramatic parts of the Bible. Like, as yeah. a <laughs> 910 year old kid, I was like, whoa, whoa. let's, and, the, and really was like craving story, like craving stories about angels and demons and mm-hmm. and ghosts and things like that and then as a teenager i started to rebel and was really really had a lot of uh, problems with uh, both catholicism and and uh, southern baptist faiths just politically speaking in effect mm-hmm. i think that they felt restrictive to me and what mm-hmm. i wanted my beliefs to be fed i wanted more of More of the magic that I felt was present in both religions and still believe that's there, but I just couldn't, I didn't have access to it in a way. I mean, sometimes now I wonder if I had learned more about the magic of the saints or more about appalachian folk magic as a mm-hmm. young person if i would have stayed on the christian path but been like a hardcore christian mystic mm. but that really wasn't available i'm an ancient millennial like in the nursing <laughs> home of millennials and so this was like the 90s when you could find books on being a good christian books on being a good protestant but be, good uh, be, being a good catholic being a good protestant or being a wiccan witch which yeah. had belief in a goddess and specific rituals and things and It's so funny, a friend of mine from high school said she found some of the old notes I used to pass her, and instead of talking about boys and things, I was talking about messages I felt like God was giving me, and I was just (laughs) always hardcore into it. And that was... We just had this anniversary of Mm 9-11, and that was a huge turning point for me in my witchcraft journey. I, the summer of 2001, I had an internship at a theater, and I had an internship at a theater and was was very lonely. I was pretty out of place, and I, I was having a really hard time finding my social footing. I'd never been away from home, and I was 19 going on 20, and mm-hmm. didn't have a constant. Like, I didn't go away to college. I went to college in my town and stayed living with my parents, so this was mm-hmm. my first time away. And it was a very different culture, and I just couldn't. I I'd had a very hard time just talking to people. It was really, like, I didn't understand why that was, and I understand it more now It's being... Being without your grounding for the first time and not knowing what to do with that.
0: Nugget uh, agrees. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I spent that summer talking to trees because the trees became my friend and and talking to what I called God at the time and read a book on Wicca and was just on my 20th birthday, just asked the question of no one. Like, am I a witch? Is that what I've been all along? And I just hmm. felt like the world lit up like, oh, thank God she finally came to the <laughs> and uh, so I was just like okay I would look back now and call that a self-initiation because I just was so full of spirit I wanted to go hug people and tell people what had happened but of course they're all in the midst of trying to put together a off like regional theater production working with broadway folk and there's a Mm -hmm. lot of pressure in those environments Mm -hmm. we had time for the weird girl from oregon who said that god was talking to her and told her she was a witch nobody had time for that i don't blame (laughs) them i don't blame them oh like i thought that's just not that wasn't the right it was not the reasonable time or place for that (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but that was the summer and it was end of the summer. We're about to wrap up. It was like the first week of September. And I had this incredibly frightening nightmare. Mm. And I dreamt that I still get chills thinking about it to this day. I dreamt that there was a city of people who were dying and they were covered in blood and they were walking around, not realizing they were dying. Mm. And that the, the nation that the United States was under attack. From some kind of ethnic group that I did not recognize. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to escape and I was trying to warn people, but nobody believed me. It was very much a Cassandra dream. And mm-hmm. the one thing, then there was a woman in my dream who walked up to me and said, here, wear this and it will protect you. Mm-hmm. And it was a burqa. I didn't know what mm-hmm. a burqa was. I'd seen pictures of them in National Geographic mm-hmm. um, And, but the the only thing that would protect me from these people that were coming to kill a whole city was a burka. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And I woke up feeling like something was really wrong. Mm -hmm. And I actually talked about it with people. I said, I've had a really scary dream that something bad happened to a city. And looking back now, this people I saw in the city were people I knew were New Yorkers. Mm -hmm. They recognized it as New York. I just saw it as a big city. But I was like, no, the dream was trying to tell me that it was coming for New York. And and everybody said, "Oh, whatever. We probably have it coming." Like that very late '90s, early aughts attitude. Yeah. "Mm," Because we had it. The United States collectively had not experienced that kind of thing in many, in well over a generation. Yeah. So I, but I still felt like "Mm -hmm. wrong, and I don't understand it, and I don't know what's going on. And then a week later was when the towers fell, and I remember Mm -hmm. sitting there. Watching the television in my grandmother's house and watching these towers fall and realizing that had been my dream, and then it even came more full circle because in the the weeks that followed, there was more there were stories about the Taliban and Al Qaeda and the fact that the women were forced to wear burqas mm-hmm. in that part of the world. And I was like, oh my God, this makes so much sense. This is what my dream was trying to tell me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh okay, here's here we go. This is my. I, I guess I am a witch, and I guess this is what I'm I'm doing. And I've tried. It's, it's so funny because I, I started a career in professional theater after college.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But really what was making me stand out was my connection to witchcraft and reading tarot. And I was reading tarot for the actors and the interns and stuff like that. And was mm-hmm. the little strange little witch who would walk around the woods at night with a black cat outside the theater. Like just so just almost like cliche, ridiculousness <laughs> back in New York City and trying to get a fiction writing career going and hanging out with a bunch of artists and the one art piece of art everybody wanted for me was witchcraft. we want more witchcraft, and so Mm. i just followed that path Mm. um ended up running a coven and publishing a tarot deck um and then publishing you know publishing uh four almost five books i've got my fifth book coming out next year Mm -hmm. so that's a long-winded story of (laughs) But you said it was a meandering conversation. So yeah, so that so, 9/11 has that kind of powerful significance for me, and I I think it did for a lot of people. Like a lot of people started turning to their own faiths or their own spiritual journey in the wake of that Mm
2: -hmm. of that
1: tragedy as a way of, as and that's very common when their people are frightened. They turn to faith. They turn to spirituality. We're seeing it now in a very dramatic way on all sides of the spiritual religious spectrum mm-hmm. in response to climate change in response to a more violent world it's in some ways and unfortunately i feel like that's linked to authoritarianism yeah. Um, yeah. i know honey it's scary
0: it's okay I know. <laughs> I know. I'm the, sorry, I'm not laughing, but the word authoritarianism is very scary. And Nugget was like, oh, what is that? I don't like that, Mommy. I don't like what happens to your body when you say that. It's- you
1: got a long, long road ahead of you, Muffin. Okay, Mommy's going to teach you everything she knows, and then you can tell me what doesn't work.
0: That's all we're all doing, honestly.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> oh. Oh. Oh hmm
1: yeah so there's that story yeah. now to show how antiquated i am <laughs>
0: not at all no i i relate so well i was like super i've always been super into religion and it's same it's like i like all the mystical parts of it that yeah. was always my thing and then it's so funny so you had that dream of 9-11 i also had a 9-11 dream weirdly enough before i had I remember the night before I had a dream that I was in a really high tower with some two of my friends, and we were, like, there eating lunch or something. And I was in eighth grade during 9-11. But we were there, like, and then one of the friend's parents was there. And then there was, like, a long slide. So I went down this slide. She went down the slide first, my friend, and then I went. And when I got to the end of the slide, there was, like, glass all over the ground, Mm -hmm. and I fell into this like big thing of just broken glass and when I looked up there was just like a gray mist everywhere and it mm-hmm. was I heard sirens and people were running around and they were hurt people had bandages or people were holding their heads or their eyes and I was like yeah. what the hell is going on I remember so vividly having this dream and same same like I woke up and I was like I remember going to school because when I was in middle school, we like got to the school. We had to wait outside the school before we got in, standing in line with my friends and being like, "Guys, I had this weird ass dream." And telling them, they're like, "Yeah, that's so weird." And then it was like two hours later that, like, yeah, everything happened. Yeah, it was crazy.
1: Yeah, I think that is such a. I mean, I have a very. I think at some point we're going to find the chemical in our DNA that makes these things happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it is part. I think it is an evolutionary gift. Our bodies are not really fit for this planet. We don't have fur. We don't have scales. We don't see very well. We don't run very fast. We don't hear very well. We don't have claws. We, Our offspring literally cannot survive without us for the first several years of their life. I mean, and other animals, like the babies are born and they just start running. I mean, and that is not us. We are just really, really a mess. But I think in addition to having quote-unquote superior intelligence i'm not gonna (laughs) (laughs) quote-unquote superior intelligence (laughs) i feel orcas out there going like really now and um hey and and endurance we are we have quite we're we're very inventive and we have quite a bit of endurance i think that we've just we that human homo sapiens human beings and i'm sure in animals too we still have we have that instinct within us when there's danger coming there's animals that move to higher ground before a tsunami or something like that they Mm -hmm. just know and I think that we just know yeah Um, we know that if you think about like we're we're human sapiens are pack animals and if you think Mm -hmm. of the United States as our I'm not I don't want to make it like I don't I'm careful saying this because I don't really I'm not a nationalist I don't Mm -hmm. I do not embrace the us against the world mentality and also I think that probably in an evolutionary sense that's like well these are the people that live where i live this is my pack mm-hmm. and there's something there's a threat that's coming to it and i think that we've always had that somebody is out and i would go back to the the cave days although they don't think anybody ever lived in caves i think that caves have always been a place of mystique i mm-hmm. mean just humans didn't really live in them but let's just say for example that they're in the cave days you're living near the cave you're in the hut or whatever and you're having you have this sense that I think I'm gonna sleep with my eyes open tonight and I'm gonna keep my knife in my hand and that's the night a saber-toothed tiger tiger shows up and tries to eat the babies mm-hmm. or you're out gathering you're in the forest gathering berries fruit and you think you know what I'm gonna really need a little, I think I need to bring home a little more of this herb mm-hmm. Bring home a little more of that herb and you find that the village elder is very ill yeah and they're the ones that have all the medical knowledge and so you're like, oh, well, good thing that I had that instinct to bring that. There's something that we just know when something's going on. And we've given ourselves so many conveniences. And I think it's a good thing. I don't think it's a bad thing that we have developed technology to make ourselves live better. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we don't need that as much as we did 50,000 years ago when we absolutely had to have that. Yeah. In order to survive. We're, we're, we've we given ourselves quite a few more tools so we don't have we can not think about that all the time mm-hmm. and now we better use that technology to figure out how to keep us from offing ourselves <laughs> yeah <laughs>
0: yeah there's that <laughs> yeah so yeah oh so many good points i love that so okay You have properly now introduced yourself, which we are so happy to know everything about you. So what I'm going to do now is we're going to go to our next section so we can get on to the next section because I'm very excited for our other two topics too. So we're going to go to our dish of the week this week. So this week, now you live in Oregon. Yes. Okay. So I have been to, like we talked about, I went to the Northwest Tarot Symposium one time. So I went to... Portland one time in my whole entire life. Portland, mm-hmm. Oregon, not Portland, Maine. Obviously, I just said that. Okay. So <laughs> so everybody knows what I'm talking about. So I remember when I went to Portland, the thing there is like food trucks. huh. Yes, it's a big thing. And I was like, okay, food trucks. We have food trucks here in Jersey, but it's like a festival thing or it's like a you go to an outdoor festival, you get food from the food truck. But there, it's, like, a thing. Like, it's a thing. Like, you get dinner from the food truck. Yeah. Like, it's... And the food... Okay, and anybody who lives in Jersey, I'm not talking about grease trucks. I'm not talking about small food trucks at a festival. I'm talking about, like, gourmet-ass food you're getting from a cool food truck. This is not a game out there. No. (laughs) It's not a game at all. This is serious. And the food from these different food trucks is, like, actually delicious. So... I looked up this list of 20 food trucks that define Portland. Now I've had people where we do like regional foods and people sometimes don't agree and that's totally fine. That's why I bring it up because I like somebody who has probably been around it to tell me if it's right or wrong. And it tells you, I think, what street it's on. So I'm just going to mention a few. I think one of these I've even been to. I'm not sure. But okay. so. The first food truck we have here is Bayon Kainan, which is in Kerns. This is a Filipino cuisine food truck, which sounds delicious. If you like some pancit, if you like some lumpia, I know I love some lumpia. All the Filipino aunties that I've worked with throughout my life make delicious lumpia, and we love it. Then we have bari food cart bari food cart is on foster powell Mm -hmm. okay this is a pizza food truck oh like a southern italian street food truck so we got calzones we've got small pizzas they deep fry the pizza dough that sounds delicious i like deep fried pizza dough i mean it's not like very good for you but it's delicious everything deep fried obviously is probably not good for you Then we have Bing me or Bing Mai. I'm not sure which one but it's Bing. let's just say Bing me. This is a Chinese street food truck and it's in Northwest. The other thing about Portland is there's like Northwest. It's like Washington DC. And it's very confusing to me. People in Portland are like, why is it confusing? We understand. I'm like, yeah, because you guys live here. Um, but to other people, it can be a little confusing with the Northwest and the Southwest. And That's so funny. I had that conversation with my husband
1: because uh, we actually don't live in Portland. We're in a little town about an hour south of Portland. And so a lot of these, uh, really dating myself, we used to call them roach coaches back in the day. <laughs> Um, and so I, I still my mind call think of them as roach coaches, but no, they are food trucks. They have been working on the branding, but uh, I almost said I used to remember the roach coaches from back in the day. There was one that was really good falafel at the Portland State campus. Mm. But I I don't know a lot of those places. Mm. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm an old school Portlander. Like I've never had a voodoo donut. Mm. When I was living I mean, I lived in New York City for thirteen years after college and when I was in college here in Portland uh, we're in Portland, where we would get do- donuts is we would take speed and get in the car and drive five hours north to the One Krispy Kreme in the Pacific <laughs> Northwest where it would, in Issaquah, Washington, where the, so we would get in the car at midnight and get there at 5 a.m. so that we could get the donuts as they rolled off the conveyor belt. Oh my God! So that's my,
0: <laughs> that's awesome.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's my Portland donuts. Like, oh, I was like, never had it. I was a uh, take uppers and drive to Issaquah kind of girl. <laughs> you know, so, um, yeah, the voodoo, that's, that came later. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, so I don't even really consider it a Portland thing. I think of it as a thing that came to rest in Portland like an alien invader from outer space. that just showed up and we just accepted it and welcomed it as one of our own. But I don't <laughs> think of it as a Portland thing. It's just there now. But, you know, it, it came in on a comet or something. I don't know. Because <laughs> real Portlanders, it's like I said, take speed and drive to the one Krispy Kreme five hours away. That's what we do
0: oh my gosh i don't here's the thing i really like portland i think it's a great place i also i watched a lot of portlandia (laughs) so i also had a lot of expectations of portland but then like i got there and it was exactly like portlandia to me i was like i'm trying not to stereotype but well, this is like 10 years ago, so maybe things are different.
1: But... <laughs> yeah, things have changed a bit. There, mm-hmm. Portlandia was a very specific slice of time. And I've I've always hated that show because it's so <laughs> inaccurate, but also so very accurate that I yeah. just can't handle it. That it just makes me angry. It, yeah. The parts that are not accurate make me angry, and the parts that are accurate make me more angry. So I just don't. So... Oh. It's like watching Sex in the City when you live in New York. You're like, yeah. Except there's, like, nobody lives that way, except that some of the mentality... I mean, I feel like Seinfeld was a much more legitimate New York City show, except that they still couldn't have afforded those apartments. Like, that's just the... (laughs) That's the Los Angeles influence right there. But, yeah, no, but it's... I just never could. I never could with it. But I remember, like, there's some of my old-school Portland friends, we talk about things being too much Portland, and we just can't. (laughs) Um, Like, I went to a wedding... That was on somebody's front porch. I got the wedding invite via email. And this was before same-sex marriage was legal nationwide. So mm-hmm. it was certainly more of a ceremony of commitment than it was a legal marriage. Because mm-hmm. It was two women. And inside, and it, it, it was just very, why I'm and, like, everybody kind of pitch in. So mm-hmm. I, didn't, I hadn't seen one of the brides in years. I still showed up and was offering to help. And somebody said, oh, would you, could you help put the the cakes out and I said sure because a lot of people brought different cakes and I was like mm-hmm. yeah I'd be happy to do that and then I said where should I put them And she said why don't you move this trunk over there and then you can set the cakes there and I said well that's not a problem yeah I can do that that's fine mm-hmm. and I started to move the trunk and somebody said oh no I'm sorry I was offered to set up the trunk and the lady said no that's too heavy don't set it there I don't want you to hurt yourself set it over here on the table and I said mm-hmm. okay that's fine so I'm setting up all the cakes and all of a sudden this woman walks up and stalks me and she goes, hi, what are you doing? And I said, well, I was asked to set the cakes up. Oh, OK, you can do what you want, but don't you think it'd be better if you set them up on the trunks? And I said, <laughs> uh, sure, but I was told not to, but I can. I mean, you can do whatever you want, but don't you think it'd be better if they were over here? Instead of here on the kitchen? And I said, OK, yeah, that's fine. And then I start to move the trunk, and it is too heavy, and I almost knocked it over on somebody's kid. Oh no! And so I almost crushed the kid with this giant trunk, and then finally got it set up. And then I start moving the cakes out, and well, little Miss squeaky voice comes back around. She goes, "Hey, I'm so sorry. I don't really mean to. Like, I don't want to bother you, but uh, you can do whatever you want." But don't you think we should put some signs up for the cakes? And I'm like, "Well, I'm happy to. I asked about that." But I was told there were no signs saying, she goes, well, you can do whatever you want. Some people have a gluten allergy, and some people have a dairy allergy, and some people are vegan. Don't you think we should have signs to say what the cakes are? And I said, I'm happy to, but I don't know where this, I was told there were no signs. I don't mean to upset you, I feel like you're getting really angry with me and I said, you know what? I'm just going to let you handle this. <laughs> oh, no, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to offend you. <laughs> so I walked out on the front porch, and I'm standing there. And this guy walks up to me, and he goes, hey, you're Courtney. You moved to New York City, right? And I said, yeah. And he goes, it's really expensive there, huh? And I went, yeah, it's pretty expensive. How much do you pay for rent? And so I'm like, well, I don't really think that's any of your business. <laughs> well, I didn't mean to offend you. I'm just curious. You guys pay a lot of rent there. You pay, like, way more rent there than we do here. <laughs> yeah, that's true. We do. Yeah I don't even need to offend you, though. You seem like you're really offended. Well, uh, <laughs> what I pay for rent right in New York City. Oh, okay. Is it really stressful there? Like, are people really stressful? Is, like, really uptight? Like, people seem like they're really uptight there. And I'm like, well, I guess. I mean, you know, because people here are much more relaxed, right? Like, in Portland, they're much more relaxed. I'm like, well, it depends. What do you mean it depends? What do you mean we're, like, really laid back here? it's like, really laid back here. And I'm like, I have to go. <laughs> I have to go now. I have to leave this wedding. I can't do here anymore. (laughs) And then I go and I see some friends of mine who had left Portland and went to move to Lincoln City on the coast. Mm -hmm. I said, I "I think there's too much Portland here. They're like, way too much Portland here. (laughs) Because all those fuckers that were pestering me, none of them grew up there. Uh They were all refugees from other cities. (laughs) (laughs) Which, like, welcome, sure. Mm -hmm. But... Oh, my God, leave me alone. Like, <laughs> and then they go, you're obviously not from around here. No, I grew up here. Well, you've been, you haven't lived here in a while because you don't know anything about Portland. Like, when did you move here? Two or Three years ago? Yeah, how'd you know? Okay. Like, I moved here in 86. Oh, my God. <laughs> so it's going full circle. Like, when I was a kid growing up, like, you couldn't really go to downtown Portland or mm-hmm. Northwest or anything because it's pretty dangerous. Um, and then it got like super super not dangerous and now mm-hmm. it's dangerous again and so all the people that came here they're like oh this is not the city at once was. i'm like yes it is <laughs> it is what do you what do you want what do you want and so like the old timer portlanders are sticking around everybody else is leaving and we're just like i'm <laughs> like bye
0: <laughs> yeah because yeah. it definitely had yes when portlandia was out it was like peak i feel like peak hipster era peak yeah. like everybody was like oh you have to live in portland and everything there there was all these vegan places which are great and all these everything was very specific to people's food preferences and like all that kind of stuff so i think and then there was like all that influx of people moving there which caused a lot of issues with um people becoming unhoused because then yeah it was the rents like, went up. yeah the I mean- rents went up and
1: Yeah, like, and I get it. I I don't have, I never really had an issue with people wanting to move to Portland to live a certain way. I mean, I moved Mm -hmm. to New York because I want to live a certain way. My issue was when people who didn't grow up in Portland. We're complaining about people moving to Portland. That's how I was like, okay, I don't get to go to New York and complain about people moving to New York. You don't get (laughs) to move out here and complain about people moving out here. Exactly. Like, that's not how this, that's just not okay. Yeah. You can be here and be happy to be here. And yeah, I mean, that's the kind of, like, I remember I met somebody who was born and raised in Brooklyn. And I asked them if they were mad that people... We're always moving to the city, and he said no because when people move to a place, they bring new life, they bring breath to it, they bring energy. Because otherwise, you start to take it for granted. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I was like, no, I don't. I never begrudge people moving to Portland, except for when we started having the rich people from the north, the Microsoft <laughs> people, and the rich people from the south in the Bay Area. Coming up and like buying up all the properties in cash, like that mm-hmm. was that sucked. Mm-hmm. But that was happening all over the country in in some of these more affordable places. So that mm-hmm. that made me sad. But like regular people who just want to come to because they want to be different, they need to get out of their hometown. They want to be near nature, and mm-hmm. I, I just don't begrudge them at all. I mean, that's I moved away from that because growing up here, I knew everybody at the time, and it was hard to really. Be the person I wanted to be when everybody was. When you, your people remember you as the mold that that you grew up in.
0: Yeah, yeah. You
1: know, I didn't really grow up even in Portland. I didn't really grow up in a community that encouraged self actualization. It was mm. more like you are who you are, and we you are who we want you to be. Yeah. You know, and that was not what I was okay with. So yeah.
0: yeah. Ooh, so, yes. I mean, yeah,
1: it's fine that y'all moved to Portland. It's not okay that you complain that other people moved to Portland. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Yes! A Portlander telling us about Portland is what we need to know. It's so called
1: explaining the... and it's best done by someone who didn't grow up here. They are the best Portsplainers. <laughs> port Portsplaining. Portsplaining. I've been portplained many times <laughs> and I warned that to a friend of mine. I'm like, when you get to Portland, you're going to be Portsplained. And she texts me. She goes, oh my God, I haven't even left PDX and I've been portplained <laughs> at the Portland
0: airport. I got portplained. I'm like that. <laughs> well, everybody... When you go to Portland to go try some of these food carts, be careful! Don't get portsplained. splained. Oh, you get prob-
1: You're, you're going to probably- get portsplained.
0: <laughs> Somebody who has only lived in Portland for a few years may come up to you and portsplain you, and now you know they did the it. They
1: will portsplain you. I mean, I, I guarantee you they will portsplain you. Although <laughs> I'm not sure splaining is what it was ten years ago. Portsplaining was a big thing ten years ago. Mm. Now people are like, watch your wallet. That <laughs> <laughs> too. I mean, it's you have to do that in any city, though. Really? Of course, but like, yeah. Pretty but much everywhere. You no, know, it's like my conservative relatives are like, everything in Portland is on fire. And like, <laughs> not really. It's just acting much more like a, a, a big city than it has when it used to be feel like a small town. So yeah, there's crime, but mm-hmm. they're like, you can't go anywhere, and I'm, like, and I'm like, you'll get killed by some Antifa, and it's like, well, no, wow, it's
0: Antifa. Not accurate, I have heard that but in a but while. Not accurate. Yeah.
1: I mean my my husband and I last last fall we went on a we came into Portland spent 3 nights. It's so fun to be on vacation in your own town because mm-hmm. you get to enjoy all the things you watch other people enjoy. So we got <laughs> a B&B and we just we did all the fun Portland stuff and then we went on this really great ghost tour in mm-hmm. Old Town.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And Old Town's always had an element of you need to watch out, watch your wallet. Don't park your don't park there. Take an Uber because your car is likely to get broken into. I mean, mm-hmm. every city has that pocket. Oh yeah, an old town is that pocket. But we could tell there were some folks from out of town that they had their fanny packs and they were looking, <laughs> they're looking around, and they're just like, we just don't feel safe
0: in this part of town.
1: <laughs> and it's like, well, I mean, it's not great, but every city has a section that's not great. Exactly. I mean, yeah, you're you're gonna be fine. Oh,
0: so. <laughs> <laughs> oh god oh so i will have a list in the show notes for the rest of the food carts but you can basically literally get anything you want from these food carts just know that i could listen to you talk about portland for hours um <laughs> and i love there's a few things i love more than making fun of portland it's really fun <laughs> so i'm gonna do my plug so if we have if you guys enjoy this show you can Follow me on all the, all the socials. I'm Dime with the Divine on Instagram, Dime with the Divine on Facebook. If you really like this show, feel free to give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you can. And you can write a little review if you are so inclined. You can even give us a tip if you'd like. Also, if you have any suggestions for episodes, questions, comments, criticisms, constructive please, and just be nice, feel free to email me at DimeWithTheDivinePod at gmail.com okay so we're going to go to our next section so our next section is tea time now tea time we're going to learn something and we're all going to learn together so i thought courtney is one of the best sources for this so i find that with the modern now everybody wants to be witchy quote unquote right and there's nothing wrong with being witchy nothing wrong with wanting to be witchy i'm totally cool with it but One thing I think that is interesting is most people who are into the aesthetic or whatever they're into don't have never heard of Wicca or don't know what Wicca is. Now, obviously, if you want to be a quote unquote witch, you don't have to be Wiccan. And I think vice versa. But it's just interesting that there's not a lot of knowledge out there about it, I find. Maybe I'm not running in the right circles. I don't know. But I just find that people don't really seem to know a lot about that. I don't know what you think about that, Courtney. I might be wrong.
1: It's funny because I'm actually not technically Wiccan. So, and I just know of, you know a lot
0: of history. That's why I thought.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So there's, I think if for folks that really want to learn more about Wicca, I would recommend following Thorne Mooney's work. Mm-hmm. He very no-nonsense, highly knowledgeable source on Wicca in its traditional sense. So... Wicca, though, in its form was really, a, really an attempt by some British witches to try to re-embrace their indigenous religion, mm-hmm. uh, which had been wiped out for thousands of years. That w- were basically turned into folklore and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. uh, first starting with the Romans moving in and bringing in their stuff. And then eventually you had different invasions. I don't... Not a great scholar on on British British history, but <laughs> in the 1940s, Gerald Gardner was looking to, to start a religion that embraced, it, like or revised revived indigenous practices from that region. Mm-hmm. What he ultimately did was a lot of co-opting from some ceremonial traditions that were already in existence. And there's the story, I believe it was called the New Forest Covenant. I, mean, I know there are Wiccans out there who are mm-hmm. screaming because I'm getting all this wrong.
0: <laughs> but I'm not getting all of it wrong. It's but okay, it's- I have a bunch of facts that I'll list when we're done. When yeah. We're done. yeah. <laughs> and
1: so it's like, And so he... The story was that he was initiated by someone who was in this mysterious existing coven. And that's highly debatable as to whether that coven actually existed. Mm-hmm. Were there probably people that were getting together and talking to trees and trying to embrace spirituality? Yeah, absolutely. But I I don't believe that there is an unbroken lineage of, witch, like of, of religious witchcraft that was mm-hmm. driven underground during the burning times and then was resurrected in the 40s by Gerald Gardner. No, I think that he created a lot of it. That doesn't mean that it's not worthwhile. All religions start somewhere. Yeah, definitely. Right? And, yeah. Um, every religion has has magic in it. Mm-hmm. And so I think he pulled together some of those pieces and connected it with a feminine divine and a belief in a, a more of a fertility religion. And there were a lot of problems with the early days of Wicca. There was certainly a lot of masochism, certainly a lot of sexual abuse that was going on in some Mm -hmm. of these circles and sexual coercion, that kind of stuff that I have not seen doesn't mean that it doesn't exist some places. I have not seen that Mm -hmm. or I am not aware of that in any existing Wiccan covens. The Wiccan covens that I know are very strict and clear about boundaries and respect. And I do not use any kind of sexual initiations or sexual coercion Mm -hmm. uh, by any means. And so there's that is something that is a thing of the past but it's really was an attempt I think to create a a another religion and religious an option besides Church of England the Anglican Church right and there Mm -hmm. there wasn't a lot and this was this was an attempt to to free themselves and in many ways, they just—they were in the early days, especially recreating the rituals of these these ceremonial traditions, mm-hmm. that exchanging language that had alluded more towards, like golden dawn and other Christian, esoteric stuff, and replacing it with imagery that was imagery and gods that were more like polytheistic and and earth-centered and feminine. And a lot of good has come out of that over the years. And just mm-hmm. there, there is, within Wiccan circles, there's a lot of very specific. Skills and training that people can learn, in defined community and defined, and especially if you're if you are someone who really thrives in ritual and really thrives in structure, mm-hmm. and thrives through the process of initiation. I think that a Wiccan tr- Wiccan path can be very helpful. Mm-hmm. And, and most Wiccans I know don't even really call themselves Wiccans; they just call themselves witches. Yeah, and they're practicing a tradition of witchcraft that is known by to most people as Wicca. Mm-hmm. I mean, Wicca or Wisha It comes from an old English word that meant like magic person or Mm -hmm. whatever the equivalent of a like a priest or a warlock. I mean, we don't really have a a clear translation for what it means now. Here it used in Vikings. Yeah. Joe Vikings. There's one scene where I guess they've come across one of the Viking priests. I don't really remember what was going on there. But the characters or the actors are speaking in old English, and there are, there are subtitles. And they use the word shaman, which is not really accurate because shaman is a very specific tradition that comes out of East Asia. Mm-hmm. But that's what this television show used, and you can hear them use the word wisha mm. for what they're trying to say, what they think of as shaman. Yeah. And so that I was so excited when I saw that. I'm like, oh, they're using it. Oh yeah. But and, and it's spelled W-I-C-E. Mm. Uh, but it's Wicca spelled W I C A, so it's really like an opportunity to try to embrace the old, the old magic
0: that way. Yeah. Does that help? Yeah. No. This is great. I'm just yeah. I'm I love everything you're saying, and I'm just giving the people. I'm gonna give some facts. That's all. That's all. So it's you're doing great. Oh, <laughs> this is fantastic. So we have a very good explanation from Courtney, and I'm going to read to you a little bit of the. Explanation from the Encyclopedia of Britannica. The Encyclopedia of Britannica defines Wicca as the largest modern pagan or neo-pagan religion. Its followers, who are called Wiccans, typically identify as witches and draw inspiration largely from the pre-Christian religions of Europe. Having publicly emerged in England during the 1950s, Wicca is now found primarily in Western countries, and the number of Wiccans is probably in the low hundreds of thousands. Followers usually use a pentagram or five-pointed star as the main symbol of their religion. So we know, and we'll get more into it in a minute, with some of these other facts about the symbolism and then how it's been like abused by the public to be like, oh, this is, these people are doing all these things that they're not actually doing. So just like Courtney was just mentioning, The modern origins of Wicca start with this guy. His name was Gerald Gardner. He was a retired British civil servant, and he spent a lot of his career in Asia, and he learned a lot about the different religions and indigenous religions of the people in different parts of Asia. I don't know exactly where in Asia. I can't tell you. It just says Asia. Uh, I didn't get to do that much research there. But he also read a lot of Western esoteric literature and he was really into the writings of Crowley. So Crowley is somebody who we have to have a whole episode on. We haven't done it yet, but it's happening at some point. Don't worry. We're going to talk about it because we have to. So upon returning to Britain in the 1930s, he became involved in the British, like, occult community. So there's, like, a bunch of, well, not a bunch, but there's stories that he met somebody, just like Courtney was saying, he met somebody who was part of this um new forest coven that he didn't know existed he met this person and then in one of the stories i heard he said that he heard her say the word wicca so he was like okay we'll call it that because i guess what it's that's what it's called but that's one story then again like courtney said this may have been true or it may have not we don't really know if it's true historians can't figure they can't agree or disagree about it But they know that he formed this uh, religion of Wicca, kind of a more formalized religion in the 1930s. Then in 1951, Britain had archaic witchcraft laws. And they were like, wait, this is stupid. Let's just repeal these. So they did. And then Gardner was like, great, I can let my witch flag fly. So he did. And he started his own coven of followers. And he had the assistance of one of his uh, high priestesses in the coven named Doreen Valen Val. Oh, Valiente. Valiente. Oh, sorry. <laughs> like, sometimes I get tripped up on like Ente names. I don't know why. It's my brain. The way it works is a little weird sometimes. Um, <laughs> and they developed what would now be called Gar, Garnerian Wicca. So well, there's different types of Wicca depending on, and it goes on a little later, talks about different people like this. Um, This Englishman named Alexander Sanders, he founded his Alexandrian Wicca. And then there is a person named Victor Anderson and Cora Anderson. I think they were a couple. And they fairy tradition of Wicca. And there's some others that I will see in my notes at some point. So these are all also people who either studied under Gardner or read a lot of his writings. Wicca spread really rapidly throughout the United States, especially during the 1960s and 1970s with the counterculture and people being sick of like wars and different things like that. And people started joining Wicca uh, at like a crazy rate at that point. Also, it was really big with second wave feminists. And they even started a kind of their own. They had Dianic Wicca, And it was started in 1971 by a Hungarian woman named Susanna Budapest, who was born in 1940. And for her, it was more of a uh, women's tradition of Wicca. Then, I didn't know this at all, drawing on the gay rights movement, there was Minoan Brotherhood that was established in 1977 by this guy named Eddie Brzezinski. Mm -hmm. And it was a, a Wiccan tradition for gay and bisexual men. I didn't know that. I was like, wow, that's really interesting. And <clears throat> it also what got really popular because people became really more involved about taking care of the environment. So since it's like, it was pre- always presented as like a nature religion, right? So everybody's like, oh, this is a great way to help preserve the vi- environment, get more into nature, learn more about nature. And then uh, there was a lot of left room, obviously most people who are, witches, whether they're Wiccan or not, are usually left wing people. Most of it. I haven't met a really strong conservative right wing witch yet. I mean email me if one be curious. if they
1: pop up on my feed they end up getting they end up getting blocks pretty fast. They're out there but no, interesting they're not, it's they're not the dominant.
0: But radical left wing politics came to the fore in the work of Starhawk. An American practitioner who helped establish the reclaiming reclaiming the tradition in San Francisco and wrote a very influential book called *The Spiral Dance*. Although, actually, they said a lot of people in the conservative movement at first really hated Wicca, but then a lot there were some, just like Courtney just said, who came towards it um, a little bit later, especially like with the nature part of it. People really loved it. Um, so there's other groups that have been Influenced by Wicca, but they aren't necessarily Wiccan groups. There's a ch- pl- a church called the Church of All Worlds and a lot of modern Druidy, Druid, I don't know, Druids. druids. <laughs> I'm so yeah. sorry. I was like, oh, this word's hard for me to say. Druids. So a lot of like people who um call themselves Druids now, this has been widely influenced. And also like Druids in general is more of a Celtic thing, British Isles. So it makes a lot of sense, right? A lot of these groups end up getting really mixed up with Satanists and, again, I can't say it, but followers of Lucifer, which especially happened during the, like, Satanic Panic in the 1980s. And if you don't know what the Satanic Panic is, it was basically a time where everybody was blaming everything on Satan worshippers. It was like a thing it wasn't happening. It was a thing people made up and they just assumed everything was like that, but it wasn't. So during that time, people would pull out pentagrams and be like, see, it's the work of the devil, but I literally had nothing to do with that at all. So, okay, then during the religion's first decades, first two decades, people would join through a pre-existing coven a lot of the time. So it would be a group, a coven sometimes had specific numbers like maybe 13 people or whatnot but a lot of times people would join through a group this is at the very beginning now a lot of people are solitary practitioners of wicca that's it's very common anything witches in general you'll see a lot of people just say they're solitary practitioners they don't have to do it in a group they might participate in some group stuff you know with other witches but usually not practicing if they don't want to then you've got tons of fun movies that we all know Everybody loves the craft. like And then you have like Buffy the Vampire and like Charmed and Sabrina the Teenage Witch, which made everybody want to be a witch. So it didn't really involve Wicca, but everybody got really into learning something about it because they were like, "Ooh, look at all these fun movies and all these fun characters. So that happened a lot in the 1990s and the 2000s. You saw a lot of teenagers getting into it. And even now, you still see a lot of people in their 20s and a lot of teenagers getting really into it. Because it's very like going against the grain. I think when you're in that rebellious stage, people see it as like, well, I can pick Wicca or witchcraft is going against the grain. So a lot of people do that. Something you see a lot. <laughs> Wicca with itself has a lot of different practices. A broad number. Of, the kind of thing that's cool about it is different for whoever wants to practice it. People. Some people think of the god and the goddess. Some people just think of a goddess. Some people don't really involve themselves with... Too much deity work. It's whatever people. If they're solitary practitioners, they do whatever they want. And just trying to give you the highlights here. There's different terminology. Some people are a part of covens, or some people can are high priests or high priestesses, and it just depends. Again, oh, and throughout Wiccan history, which I saw this was interesting too, there have been covens that actually have excluded. Um, gay or transgender people but since you know the beginnings of it it's way more um, inclusionary now people are way more open to that and obviously people can pick and find whatever kind of coven works for them or none at all if that's not what they want
1: yeah and if that's the specific one of the things one of my teachers taught me is that especially if you read these older older witchcraft books where they, they really admonish homosexuality mm-hmm. it's because that when those were being published in many places, it was a crime to be gay. Yeah, and so uh, whether it was one part of it was ignorance, and yeah, there was some homophobia, but it also was a matter of trying to protect the groups. Like, oh, we don't do that, and yeah, even because it was. It was illegal. I mean, I feel like I really don't know that many straight people in the witchcraft community. Period. I just yeah, feel like <laughs> everybody was a little bit gay. Most people are just a little bit gay, <laughs> and unfortunately, there are still some traditions that exclude trans people. I, those groups are getting more and more heat as time goes on, mm. and I think it's, I think it's really one. It makes me like I won't be in a circle if. I find out that any one of a specific gender is not allowed. Mm. I, I respect the space for women's circles and those women's circles need to include trans women because yeah. trans women have a very specific experience of being a woman that, that is, that is valuable and beautiful and needs to be given space.
0: Absolutely. A lot
1: that cis women can learn from trans women. So I am not going to be in a space where trans women are not allowed. And mm-hmm. I've actually made that drawn that boundary, when i've been asked to speak at places that are advertised as being women centered i'm like okay but this is cannot only be for cis women that's not i don't want that so uh, yeah and i haven't heard as much from some of these anti trans groups in the last few years part of it may be because of the pandemic there's just not as not the opportunity for people to get together and so it just haven't hasn't even been in question and there's just more more trans affirming groups and trans and resources for trans which is that we haven't that that weren't around when I first started practicing. So that's, that is good, it needs to continue. And being mindful that in a lot of traditions around the world, esoteric, religious, spiritual, what have you, is that trans people were holy and revered and yes. often took the role of being the spiritual wise person. I mean, mm-hmm. we're talking ancient Greek, ancient Roman, a lot of different country, cultures here in in North America. There's, so it's not something that's new. Yeah. Right. It's certainly something that is very ancient. And uh, I mean, Rachel Pollack, who's May She Rest in Peace, Mm -hmm. absolutely incredible writer and tarot mind and just and she was she herself was trans. Mm -hmm. She gave a very powerful interview once and that when she was reading the Old Testament and that. And one, I guess it was probably Leviticus, where it says, no man shall cut off his member and dress in women's clothing. Mm -hmm. She didn't take that as an admonishment of being like that, oh, no, God hates me, or that she took that as an acknowledgement that people like her have existed since the beginning. She said, how can you ban that which is not real? She said, so there were trans women, or who we would might now identify as trans women, but... You know, the context is very different. We don't know how these individuals would have identified themselves. Mm-hmm. So I wanna be very careful. I don't wanna label mm-hmm. these ancient people. But Rachel saw herself in the people that Leviticus was trying to extinguish. Mm-hmm. It's just like how can you how can you ban something that doesn't exist? There were people like me back then.
0: Exactly. And
1: so that was so beautiful and so Such a a gracious and wise way of looking at it. When people are using this as a tool of oppression Mm -hmm. to oppress people like Rachel, and instead Rachel's like, "Yay, your tool of oppression is your tool to help me feel seen." Yeah,
0: Uh you're literally affirming my existence. Like, okay, thank you. I guess. Like, (laughs) she thought it was a wonderful thing, and And I love that. I love that she took that like that thing and. She was like, I met Rachel Pollock once and she, her book was actually one of the first tarot books I read. And it was way above my head. I had to read it like three times. Um, and then when I met her, like for the first time I had like, I got like, I was fangirling. So I was nervous. Like, I was, like, and then like, she would like sign my book and she was really nice. And then I ended up going to like dinner with like all this group of people I was with. And she sat next to me and she just told me like dirty jokes the whole time. And they were really lovely. funny. And I was like, I'm obsessed with this woman. <laughs> She's yeah. so cool. Like, she was such a cool lady. Oh, I love her. Rachel Follick was really neat. Yeah, the world is worse off without her. I know, honestly. Oh, Rachel Follick, great. Okay, so that's what your little rundown of Wicca. I have a, like the Wiccan read, but I'm going to put it in the blog so anybody can read it if they want. And Okay, so we're going to get to our last section of the show. We're going to talk about something Courtney knows again a lot about this time because she wrote a book on Hekate. Yay! <laughs> I'm going to give you, this is like the quick and dirty. I recommend you read the whole book because this is just a synopsis, guys. I'm not going to read everything in the book. We'll be here for a while and it's a really good book so I recommend you just go get it and read it. So, we're going to talk about Hekate. Now, I personally see a lot of people again, TikTok, witch talk, people love Hekate. Mm-hmm. I love her too. But, I, to me, I don't, and maybe this is just my experience, so I'm not saying anything about anyone else. I don't know how people are like, this is the first deity I'm going to work with because she's like a lot. So I don't know. like To me, I'm like, are you guys okay? Is everything all right? Because when Hikate entered my life, she came in like a storm. <laughs> she was ready to tell me the truth about everything. I, was I ready for it? It didn't matter to her. She was like, this is the facts why are you doing this? This is wrong. I was like, oh, okay. Um, <laughs> sorry. She was very like, very real in my face and wasn't playing any games. So God bless all you people out there who are like, I'm going to become a devotee of Hecate. I do it. She's great. I absolutely adore Hecate. Just know that And you talk about this in your book, too, actually. Just know that she's not here to... She is a very loving deity, but she's also not here to just coddle you. She's not like that. And I was. it was very interesting when I was reading the beginning of your book when you talk about your experience with her. But yeah, I I don't see her as a sweet, loving grandma kind of entity. She's not like that. I'm just saying, you know, off the top. The quote... So this is actually the quote right in front of Courtney's book. And this is from... Hesiod, he said of Hecate in 700 B.C.E., said, "For this day, whatever, for this day, whenever any one of men on earth offers rich sacrifices and prays for favor according to custom, he calls upon Hecate. Great honor comes from full." Easily to, great honor comes full easily to him whose prayers the goddess receives favorably. And she bestows wealth upon him, for the power surely is with her. So, you're like, who's Hikate? Let me tell you, if you don't know. So, she's super popular. She's one of the witch goddesses. um Queen of magic and that kind of thing. We'll go into it. AKA, so some of her nicknames. She's got the most lovely one, the worker from afar, three-headed hound of the moon, Influence from afar. The one who goes before the gate, the light bringer, and the queen of the night, and the goddess of witches, um, which is on the front of Courtney's book, Hecate, goddess of witches. Um, she is the queen of the crossroads, and I love talking about crossroads. I feel like, I know, Nugget. Um, everybody has a crossroads deity, and I feel like in every culture, we talked about Eshu a while ago. He's a crossroads in Yoruba culture. Um, and she is the keeper of the keys, meaning she has the keys to the gates to the afterlife. Where is she from in the world? Where does she come from? Well, there's a little bit of nobody really knows at this point because she's in a bunch of different places. There's some lore about her in, in Bulgaria. There's some lore in Syria. There's a lot of lore in Greece, obviously. And then we also have a lot of stuff about her in Turkey. So And some people even think Egypt. So there's a strong possibility that she has an origin from a god named Hikwet, a frog-headed Egyptian goddess of fertility and childbirth who, somewhat like Hecate was associated with, with the rulers. The word Heka in Egyptian language is also both the word for magic and the name of the god of magic and medicine, Heka. So they think it might be associated with that. And that is... I got that from the Encyclopedia of Spirits. She also may be from what is now modern-day Georgia by the Black Sea because is the home of Medea who's one of her most famous devotees. You talk a lot about Medea in the book too, and along with Hecuba, which is the queen of Troy who also was a really famous devotee of Hecate. She's the chief deity of Caria, which is now in western Turkey, modern-day western Turkey. She's also, one of the most interesting things about her in Greek mythology is that Hecate technically is a titan. Now, if you guys know, and again, one day we're going to have to do Greek mythology 101. If you know anything about Greek mythology, Zeus really didn't like the titans. He was, and it actually, oh, this just occurred to me right now. Zeus, much like, what's my boy's name? Odin. He was not down with these giants. Odin, same. Remember, we talked about Odin a while ago. Odin went up there and he killed a whole bunch of giants, and then made them go live in Jotunheim. Well, so did Zeus. Zeus was not about the Titans. But except for Hecate, he let her live with the rest of them. The rest of the Titans he pushed away and made them go away because he didn't like them. So Hecate is actually the daughter of two Titans. And she is the confidant and the handmaiden of Persephone. We're going to tell that story too. It's a good story. Who's the queen of the dead? Married to Hades, that one. Remember, her mom's Demeter. She had to go looking for her. It was a whole thing. Hecate actually ended up uh, hanging out with Persephone because she was looking for her, for Demeter. So she ended up staying down there with Persephone when she's down there and comes back up. Hecate is the goddess of life, death, regeneration, and magic. She's petitioned for crimes against women or girls, justice, which wishes, protection to and from dogs because she loves dogs, fertility, Healing and she also helps get rid of ghosts. She's one of the most powerful deities we got. Even Zeus is nervous.
1: Not like yeah, he's just m- gave her a bunch of stuff so that she'd be busy and would leave him alone. Yeah. He was, of- <laughs> he was scared of his auntie and he gave her the stuff that he was afraid of. So like the deeps the depths of the sea. Yeah. And the realm of the dead. He's like, Here, Auntie, these
0: are for you. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Zeus. So i think so far by doing of this podcast, the two women that Zeus seems most uh, nervous about is Hecate. And he's super afraid of Nyx. We talked about Nyx before too. Super afraid of her. And they're both like nighttime deities. Zeus is just afraid of the dark. That's what I just figured out. Zeus is just fearful of the dark. So apparently one time, so Hecate is also a messenger, but between gods. She's a messenger between the different gods. One time she stole Hera's beauty cream. And gave it to Europa because Europa wanted it. And Hera got pissed off. And then she pursued Hecate, who first flew into the bed of a woman in childbirth, then into a funeral procession. Then she flew into a lake in Hades, where she was cleansed by the Kabiri. Hekate then emerged, she came out more powerful than ever, the goddess of birth, death, and purification. So she went to go get purified and then became the goddess of purification. So that's how cool she is. She also rules the passages between life and death, and she's invoked by all sorts of people who do death work and necromancers. She's totally and completely loved by midwives, witches, healers, herbalists, dogs, dog lovers, rescue dogs, and those who protect and ride horses she's a shape shifter, and she, there's a, she has a couple different animal forms that she can turn into she's also seen in three like in a group of three you know she's one of those goddesses we have a couple of them that we know her colors are black purple and all her rituals well most of them are to be done at night since she's the queen of the night so that's your quick and dirty rundown of Hecate, or Hecate, whichever one I always say Hecate, but I don't know that's what I say oh thank you nugget (laughs) that's our quick and dirty rundown i seriously recommend you read courtney's book about hikate it's like super detailed she gives you the history she gives you rituals in there and i really enjoy that book that's once i started working with her actually your book was the one that helped me understand her the most so i really thank you for writing your book My
1: pleasure ashley and thank you for saying that i'm
0: I'm so happy that it
1: was helpful for you
0: oh yeah super helpful because i was like this deity is a lot and I was like okay I get it I see what she likes and now me and Hikate were like besties I love her okay so that actually brings us to the end of our show today Courtney thank you so so much for being here Oh, it was my
1: pleasure. Thank you for having me. Okay. Yeah. So uh, if people are interested in getting further involved in their witchcraft, they want to come hang out with me and things, I am co-hosting a virtual, a two-day virtual conference called Somote That Con. And it is hosted by my podcast, That Witch Life. And it's all about living as a witch in today's world. We have 10 different presenters who will be offering their expertise on everything from Hoodoo for Liberation to working with the goddess Freya to how to make your magic more accessible. And we have a special keynote with author Laurel K. Hamilton. She's a New York Times bestselling author of the Anita Blake Vampire Series. Mm-hmm. So um, let people, you know, so if you go to my website, that I mean, my podcast website at thatwitchlife.com, you can find out um, how to register. And if you can't make it on the weekend or you can't be there the whole time, everything is getting recorded. It will be emailed to you afterwards so you won't miss a thing.
0: Yay! i will have all that in the show notes so everyone you can go and sign up for the conference and listen to all the good information and all the juicy stuff and that sounds awesome i love it okay yay this has been great i have really enjoyed you being on here thank you so 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 much courtney and i just want to say thank you all for listening I am this is Dying with the Divine. And if you like it, like us on Instagram, Facebook. Oh yeah. And I have a TikTok. I always forget to mention that. Again, please give us a rating. I love ratings. And I hate begging for them. Just give me one, please. It's not a big deal. Two minutes to Doug more good than you could possibly know. Exactly. Thank you. See, Courtney has a podcast. She knows the deal. Uh, oh <laughs> I love you guys. Oh, so and like I said, if you have any suggestions or any subjects or like I really want to talk hear about that. On the episode, let me know. Email me at pod at gmail.com. And if you want to follow me, Ashley, I'm Sankofa H S, that's S-A-N-K-O-F-A-H-S. And I'm Sankofa Healing Sanctuary on Facebook. I want to thank you guys so much for being here. Thank Courtney again, and I'll see you all next week. Bye bye! Bye, nugget. <laughs>